And it's good to be with you. If you're just uh, joining us or visiting with us, my name is Dean Barham, and I am honored to serve you all as the lead minister of this church. I will warn you in advance, my voice is not very strong. We had uh, the uh, Saturday night worship service at Kyle Field. And um, <laughs> I realized about uh, right before halftime, right, Wes, I was like, I'm, I'm trying to do my 12th man job and, you know, yelling and screaming and all that stuff while the other team has the ball. I'm like, I, I need to preach tomorrow. So uh, the second half, I was clapping. I was just making noise in different ways. Uh, put up with me if it goes out. Wesley was there last night. I'm blaming you, so I'm just going to give you my notes and you'll take over. A couple things I want to say just before we get uh, started in the message. Uh, first of all, uh, you, you'll be aware maybe as, uh, in the course of the next couple months, a little experiment we're, we're trying to uh, implement this month and, and going forward. We're going to experiment with a little bit of an expansion of the way that we serve pastorally and care for people in this church. It's just a one small piece of continuing to grow in that area. We call it the pastoral care ministry team. Um, and it's just a group of folks that are willing, when you indicate that you're open to prayers or cards or something, just to supplement all the other things that are going on, the work of the elders and the ministers and the existing ministry teams, there's a group of folks that, if again, if you indicate you're open to uh, being contacted when there's a need, they'll do that. So if something's going on, somebody's in the hospital, it'll just be another way that you continue to, to love and, and, and uh, expand our pastoral touch. So if you get a call or an email or a text from someone that says... You're on the pastoral care team. That's where it's coming from. That's what's going on. Also, again, we're trying to be more intentional to follow up when there are needs and good things going on in people's lives. So let us know, and that'll be one more resource that we're able to, uh, to use to help bless you and help you serve each other. Again, more to come in other avenues and other ways. Uh, and again, it's a supplementing thing. Some people asked, oh, is this team replacing this or that? It's not replacing anything. It's just one more thing. Uh, that we're doing to try to expand our reach and touch to, to help and bless each other. Uh, also, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, or if you haven't, one of the things we've been doing is kind of talking a little bit at the beginning of the new school year and ministry year about why we're here. You know, the big question, why are we here on planet Earth? Kind of God's vision and his purpose for our lives, but also what does it mean to be part of this spiritual family and this time and this place? I also say this, I said it before, I'll say it again, if you're like me, I hate the bumper sticker kind of approaches, the mission and vision. We just throw things up a couple times and put banners up, and then we don't talk about them ever again. We don't think about them ever again. First of all, this is nothing new. We use language in this time to express what God has said is our purpose for all time. He's already said it. We don't create the mission and vision of the church. He did that. But he does invite us to say it in fresh ways, in our ways. And so we say our vision here, what is it that we want to be about in God's vision, is to help everybody that we have some contact with. It's here in Bryan College Station or our impact around the world. We want to help people find hope and live with purpose. What is that hope? We, we keep saying this. I'll use this language again later today. The hope is cosmic. It's not just you and me under a tree with Jesus. It's not just floating away and going to heaven one day. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 says Jesus is reconciling all things to himself in Christ. He is fixing the entire broken world. That's powerful hope. And our purpose is that we get to participate with God in extending that to the rest of the world. Jesus' language of purpose is what we know is the Great Commission. Go be disciples who make disciples. Keep passing that on. We'll talk more about that 
again today. And then we put this little visual up here. And thanks to, to Bailey, I saw you somewhere around here. Where is Bailey? Can you just stand up for two seconds? I know you hate this, but Bailey takes things that I have an idea about and makes it visual. She has been working for months for what you see. Thank you, Bailey, to help us get those images. Appreciate that. Literally living out what we're talking about today. That was not scripted on. I know you hate that, but but I love that people use their gifts to make this happen. So this is a visual. It's a circle for a reason. God invites you to start exactly where you are with him, wherever you are. And so some people might connect more on a, on a mission field or an Aggie trip than they would in a gathering like this. Now I'm speaking to folks that are here. But we want to invite you to enter the circle wherever you are. But these are kind of stations along the way to grow into our vision. What does it look like? to keep walking out, whether you're 8 or 80 or beyond that, to keep walking out the life of God. Well, we want to encourage you to meet up with the God who made you. And that is here in this gathering, and that is also in the individual unique ways that you come to know God. We'll talk about plugging in this week to this spiritual community. Here's a way to think about this. God says love God and love people. And we're expanding kind of the love people into two different areas. You plug into this spiritual community because this is your spiritual family if you're a member of this church. And then we then live that out in the world in the ways that we have our gifts. So we're, we're just in the middle of unpacking that. We talked last time about um, meeting up with God. We're going to talk this week about what does it look like. Just a picture. We'll keep coming back to these things in different ways. Plugging into the community of the people of God. So if you have your Bibles, your devices... Um, that you read on. We are in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. And a quick thought. Again, this is kind of an expansion. Last week we looked at the greatest commands. God says love, love God. Jesus says love God and love people. I could preach on just the second line, love your neighbor as yourself. This is Paul's expanded conversation on what it looks like to love your neighbor in this spiritual community. So this really is a sermon off of the same passage as last week, but I want to look at this text. Ephesians chapter 4, this is the word of the Lord, starting in verse 1. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. That is why in the Old Testament it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Skip down to verse 11. It talks about some of the leadership gifts. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows 
and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I suspect you, like me, we all have these what I call mirror moments when we have someone in our life that reminds us who we really are. And kind of just this call back to reality of who we are or who we're supposed to be. Sometimes it's a, an exciting call and reminder. Sometimes, let's be honest, it's more sobering kind of reminder. It's more like that. When I read this story, a lady was telling a story of a trip that she made to the hospital. And this is the way she described it. It was in Reader's Digest, and she, she wrote it this way. She started by a description of herself, and the description is important. She said, I am five foot three and pleasantly plump. That was her description. Okay. Five foot three, pleasantly plump. I had a minor accident, had to go to the emergency room, and the nurse asked me my height and weight. And she said, without even thinking, I just blurted out five foot eight, 125. <laughs> her mother, who was there, leaned down and very gently and sweetly said in her ear, Honey, this is not the internet. <laughs> I know you're used to kind of projecting an image out there. It's a different place. Those subtle mirror moments that remind us who we are. We have them all the time. Scripture does a wonderful job of giving them to us as well. And what I think this chapter is, is really a mirror moment in a positive way, in a really exciting way about who we are in the body of Christ. He says several things. Let's just kind of notice. Again, it's a, it's a big passage. We're just going to do a kind of a flyover here. But the first thing that he points out is really important. He says, listen, you, listen to this word, you are connected. You are deeply and powerfully connected in this thing we call the body of Christ. This is the way he says it. Watch the language. He says, I urge you, powerful word in Greek, I beg you, I implore you, he says, to keep or maintain or hold on to the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If somebody says, I want you to keep something, what does that mean? You already what? You can talk to me. You already have it. Listen, you are connected. He says, I want you to hold on to, to maintain, to support the unity of the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace that you have already in the body of Christ. We all know situations and stories where people uh, grow up in a family and there are tensions among the siblings. I got a friend of mine that grew up in a household where he and his sister were always fighting like cats and dogs back and forth. Uh, later when they grew up and they had their own children, then they went back and they bonded. But one of the things that you learn growing up in a family is you do not get to choose <laughs> your brothers and sisters most of the time, right? Well, here's Paul's reality. You don't get to do it in the spiritual family either. Now, you can choose where you go and gather to worship. This is really important to understand. You do not get to choose your spiritual family. God did that work. And we are connected to each other, whether we like it in any moment or not. 
And he says, if you start with understanding, you have a spiritual connection to the body of Christ. Then he says, in light of what already exists, mirror moment, I want you to live that out and to keep it and to hold on to it. And he goes on to say what I think is one of the most difficult commands in the Bible to ever follow. Did you catch it? It's in verse 2. One of the hardest commands in all of the Bible. This is what he says. Bear with one another in love. Oh, that's so easy to read in church and to skim by. But here's what, here's what you find out in any close relationship. Grow up with a family. Choose to date somebody for a significant period of time. Work in a ministry setting. Be on a sports team or a, in a music ensemble. Get married. <laughs> Be in any meaningful relationship and you will find out eventually you will have to, if you want to keep that relationship that already exists, you're going to have to bear with one another. (laughs) Now, by the way, here's the fastest way to get miserable in your life. Try to fix somebody in your life all the time. Go for it. See how that will work for you. Well, it doesn't mean we don't share when things aren't healthy or good, but we are invited in the relationships of our lives to bear with one another. And that's part of what we do in the spiritual body called the church. I had a friend of mine that said, here's a way to think about this. And I've shared this in our Bible class setting, so some of you have heard this before. But I think one of the most powerful ways to actually practice this in a spiritual community or really in your life is to pray for that person, right? Or to find some way where I'm bearing with the other person and I'm not just running away from and ignoring them. And a friend of mine had a, a simple way of praying, a daily regimen of prayer that I will often do. Don't do it every day, but I, I like his way of doing it. And there's a section where you come to where you pray for people in your life that are close to you. Now, here's the thing. If anybody gets close to you in your life, eventually they will annoy you <laughs> and really bother you. And so there is a place in this, in this prayer to pray for those kind of folks. And I've told people before, there's two ways, and I learned it from this guy first, there's two ways to get on my daily prayer list. One is to be in covenant relationship with me. I marry someone, I pray for her every day. I'm in covenant relationship with you, I pray for this church every day. People in discipleship groups, close relationships in my life, I pray for you on a daily basis. Here's the second way to get on my daily prayer list, make me really mad. I really mean it. Again, I learned this from my friend. There is something, if, if that person that annoys you most in your life, what if that's an invitation to actually practice the passage we just ran past really quick? That person in church that bugs the mess out of you. Maybe you pray for them. Maybe you even go so far as a mentor taught me this, to ask God, I dare you to ask God this question, what do you want me to learn from this person? Because you put them in my life for a reason, and I don't like it, but here it is. So here's the story that inspired me to do this a long time ago. My friend Robert who, who kind of created this approach to, or gave me a, an example of this approach to prayer, he was telling the story of a friend of his who had a really bitter divorce. And he came to that part where we're invited to pray for people that we're connected to, and he said to Robert, he said, I hate this, but I feel like I need to pray for my ex-wife. Now you just kind of mention their name, bring them before God, and he said, all right, I'm going to do this. And so they did this prayer, and they would pray often this prayer together, and he would pray it on a daily basis. And something happened. It seems so simple, but I love hearing the story. He said a year later, he came to Robert, and he said, guess what I realized today? I woke up this morning and realized I don't hate my ex-wife anymore. It took a year of prayer to get to that place. Now they're not going to go and sit down and have tea and coffee, but they, 
he got to a place he was able to bear with. What if we actually practice what he says in this place? And part of what we do when we plug into a community here is that God is inviting us to be around people that it will take the Holy Spirit's power to help you bear with them. That's part of what we do. And if all we ever do in our lives is reduce the group that is around us to people we completely agree with and we completely feel comfortable with and we cancel or push out everybody else, we have no opportunity to have the Holy Spirit of God do what God does. Reconcile the world starting with yours. Bear with one another in love. You already are connected. Now you have the opportunity to practice that. And again, I love a church that says we're here and people have a dizzying variety of views and perspectives on things. You have an incredible eldership here. I got a chance to spend time with them over the course of this week and just praying and dreaming about where we're going with all of you. And we all have different views about different things on the eldership and our ministry group. And we love each other deeply and we believe deeply in the purpose of God, which goes above all of that. That's what we practice here as well. You are connected. The second one, I know you know this, but let's really see this in this passage. You are also uniquely gifted to fit into this spiritual community, as it says in 1 Corinthians, just as the Holy Spirit intended. He put you here in this time, in this place, for a purpose. I don't think it's just random. I think we are here to fit in with your giftedness. And it says it a couple different places. In verse 7, it says, Listen to this. To each one grace has been given. And we turn that into a stained glass word. It's just a word for gift. Each one has a gift. And then the the next verse, in verse 8, it it quotes the Old Testament. Paul likes this metaphor. There was a, a, a common practice in the ancient world probably still happens in some places today, when kings would go off to war and they would conquer a particular area or region, they would plunder the spoils of that region. They would receive kind of the the bounty of war. And then they would come back in triumphal procession into the community uh, back where they came from and they'll throw out gifts. So they're proceeding in. We not only won the war, but you get part of the booty. You get part of uh, of of the spoils of war. And here's the picture Jesus doesn't beat human enemies, that he's aiming at a higher thing. And he defeated the powers of death and powers of the evil one. He, in the resurrection, started a whole new cosmic world. And then he comes into a spiritual community and he throws out gifts, different gifts in the community. The king of the universe has gifted you for this time and this place in your life. And each one of you has a gift. I know you've heard Things like this before. I know some churches will actually do this. I don't know if it's literal or metaphorical, but I heard about one church when they came into the parking lot one Sunday morning and they looked down and every single parking space said reserved for minister. I like that. I like it. It's because it's true. Did you see what it says in here? It talks about leadership gifts. In verse 11, it talks about the some people call the five-fold gifts. It may be four gifts. People debate about this. Let me give you my take on this. This is not set in stone for all time. There are different perspectives. But um, I believe all five of these are still gifts that are active in the church. Just don't put a capital letter on the front of a couple of them. Okay? So it says God called some to be apostles. Now there are some capital A apostles. That's done. There's no more of those. There's the ones that help 
write scripture and, and do all that, that we're with Jesus. But all the word apostle in Greek means is the sent out ones. And of all churches that should get that this kind of form of apostolic ministry still exists, it should be this one, because we literally have groups that are sent out all the time. Uh, there are some people, in other words, that are gifted for extra local ministry. There are some people that can't stand just to stay put. Uh, they're sent by God to go and bring the good news in life and in service or start new things in different places. So that's an apostolic gift that continues, I believe, to go on. Let's just call it extra local gifting so that we don't get weird and people aren't bound down to people. Prophetic gift, I believe that still goes on. Read that in, in 1 Corinthians, especially chapter 12 and chapter 14. Don't put a capital P in front of it. We're not talking about people that write scripture. What we're talking about in chapter 14, I think it's verse 2. We, again, can understand this in this place because think of the conference we find ourselves in here. The prophetic gift, according to 1 Corinthians 14, first of all, Paul says, I want everybody in the church to have this gift. Secondly, here's as simple as it is. It is those folks who are gifted by God to speak SEC, strength, encouragement, and comfort to other people. Some people have a gift to speak a word powerfully from God of strength, encouragement, and comfort. Don't make it a capital letter. And then we realize all five of these gifts still work. Then we, for some reason, like the last three, so we let them work still. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Pastor, teacher, maybe one or two different offices. All of that to say this. What is the function of leadership gifts in the church? Are the leadership gifts in the church to do all the work? Is that what it says? God called some to be leaders in the church so that they would do everything and others would sit back as spectators. Again, this is a church that already gets this. Let me remind us of this. The gift of leadership in a church is, and I quote, to equip all the people of God for the works of, NIV says, service. Let me translate it literally. It says to equip all the people of God for the works of ministry. I'm looking at the ministers of the A&M Church of Christ. I'm looking at them right here. And in first service and those who aren't able to be with us today, you are the ministers. And that's not, a, oh, isn't that a sweet little kind of self-deprecating thing to say? No. If we are not as leaders equipping you to do your job as ministers, we're not doing our job. These are the ministers. That's why I love the pastoral care ministry team. Those are folks that are extending the pastoral care. I love the fact that we have children's ministry and youth ministry and campus ministry and we have benevolence ministry and we have all these other things because you are the ministers of this church. So here's the thing. Do we actually practice that and take it seriously? I, and by the way, here's the thing. Don't think it has to be some huge formal thing. We do it organically, just do it intentionally. This is just the silliest example, smallest example, it's not silly, smallest example, but it hit me this week when I came back um, from a day trip, and this was in my office. All of the ministers and, uh, and folks that work in the office got this last week. It says, thank you for all you do. Love, the sixth grade Sunday morning class. And all these sweet kids in our children's ministry put their names on it in beautiful colors. Now watch how God works. Small thing, small example, but I want you to think about whatever gift that you have, whether it's a little card. There's one other thing they did. They got a little baggie and it said, you're a lifesaver, and included in it was a baggie of lifesavers. Now why is this a big deal for me on this week? In my car, as we speak, is an empty bag of lifesavers because I'm a scatterbrain, and if I run out of something, I have to put the last of whatever it is in my car to remind me the next time in the grocery store to get it. Now, a while back, years ago, I burned my voice out 
preaching. And so one of the people that coached me on how to not do that said, here's a simple thing you can do. Always have something to suck on and don't make it menthol. We usually use mints. Mints actually constrict your vocal cords. You didn't care about that, but no extra charge. Here's what they say. So get something, something like a lifesaver. You know, every Sunday I'm up here, I have a couple lifesavers in my pocket. And guess what I have run out of in the last week? It's so small. I've got an empty bag of lifesavers to tell me I need to go get more. And I walked in and these sweet people prayed a blessing and gave, it was almost this as if the father said, I know you're running around. I got you. And I'm going to use the children in our church to do. Isn't that beautiful? Now, you know this. It happens all the time. Have you ever had a moment where you felt like I ought, to, I ought to pray for somebody, you pray for them, and then you had that extra nudge that said, I don't need to just pray it, I need to say it. And did you ever send that text to say, I'm thinking about you today. Haven't, I see you shaking your head, right? And have you ever heard that person say, oh my gosh, I needed that today? That is the ministry of the AM Church of Christ and hear me with all of the strength I've got. It is every bit as important as what I'm doing right now. You are on the planet to find your gift and to share it. We talked about this as elders. We even practiced it um, among the eldership there and among some of us as ministers. But here's what I, I challenge you, encourage you to do. Every Sunday, maybe, think about somebody that's been a blessing to you and tell them what their gift is. We are here to call out the giftedness in each other. We had a starting point class today. We got new folks that want to come place membership or whatever language we use for that. And sometimes we say that's not very important. Oh, yes, it is. But in a different way. We're not just checking boxes or telling you you got to give. Here's what I think about when I think about membership in a church. We are saying we are calling out your gifts. You are here not just because we need, uh, you, you need us. We need you. And when you place membership in this church, you are, you are coming in to say, I am coming in like like the little boy with loaves and fish, and I'm going to bring it to Jesus, not to us, but to Jesus, and say, what are you going to do with it? And we're going to give our gifts to you, and you're going to give your gifts to us. That's why we're here. You are uniquely gifted, and we need you right now. And we call that out. Last thing I say on this. I love, you know, I've used this language before. When we do this, you will find more and more and more we become part of God's cosmic work he's doing in the gospel. You know, I love that language. I guess I'm, I'm literally stealing it from Paul. Where he says the gospel of Jesus is about reconciling, restoring, and renewing all things in heaven and on earth. Let me give you a sense of where he, when he talks about it in this passage, what he has done before. One of my favorite lines, and anytime I ever talk about this, I admit to you, I mean, this is always true because I'm not God and I don't understand it all, but there's a passage I want to preach and I can't get it out, so I'm just going to do the best I can on this passage. But it says here in this passage, what is the goal of us doing our whole pathway, all that kind of stuff? You, you give your life to God. You find yourself in union in the body of Christ. You discover your gifts and use it. Leaders do the same thing. Call out your giftedness. Paul says, what's the ultimate goal? What's the ultimate goal? We do this until what? Did you catch it in the passage? Until we reach, a couple ways to say it. First of all, he says, we grow up. We reach maturity. So, so put this in our minds. When we talked before about our goal is to be disciples and make disciples, our goal is to actually grow up in Christ and be the people we're created to be. Did you know that's not just individual? God wants us to grow up as a spiritual community and as a church. He wants the church to grow up. The other way he says that, and this is the part I don't know how to communicate, but everything in my soul wants to just say, God, would you just say this in a way we can all understand? 
He said, until we all reach unity of the faith and have the full measure of the fullness of Christ. Can we just say, I don't have no idea. I don't know how to say what that is, but here's the picture I get. To have the full measure of the fullness of Christ. He says it here. He says it back in chapter 19, uh, verse 19 of chapter 3. He says, I pray that you come to experientially know the love of God that we cannot know intellectually. Why? Until we experience the fullness of the measure of the fullness of Christ. What is that? All right, I don't completely understand, but here's the picture I get. There is an experience of the power and the wonder of God, the full measure. It's like he's got this bowl, this bucket of the giftedness of experiencing God. Hear me, this is what I do get. We will never experience it here until everybody gives their gift. Until everybody in this place offers their experience and their gift. Not, I'm not talking about Sunday morning for an hour. I'm talking about as we live it out as a community. He says there is an experience of the wonder and the fullness and the measure of God that we will only experience when we grow up in Christ and we use our gifts. I don't know all of what that means, but here's what I do know. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it because we've got ministers in here that feel held back from being who you are. Like, give your gift and don't just be spectators here. By the way, if you've been burned and hurt or you're a visitor, come and attend as long as you want. But when you are a member of this church, we're asking you, help us serve and live out this mission. Jump in. By the way, quick pause. Again, I, I love our elders will speak into as we're dialoguing all this, a quick pastoral word that I, I heard and I'm going to give from our elders. If you're hearing anything I'm saying when I put this stuff up there is, oh gosh, here's one more thing I've got to do. And I know we're in church. Father God, take it away. We're talking about grace. You don't have to do anything to be loved and accepted by God. You already are. I'm talking about those who are in Christ. So if you're in Christ, here's the question. Now what do you do? So what? You're in Christ. Let's receive the grace of God. Great. Now Paul says, grow up in it. Do you have to do it? Of course not. Here's what I've learned from Jesus. We really should believe him when he says, my life is abundant and it's fulfilling and it's meaningful and I want you to live my life. That's what we want to do. We actually want to grow up in it. Do you have to? No. You can be frozen, chosen, and saved and receive the grace of God. That's fine. I'm joking. No, I mean, honestly, you can heal. You can do whatever you need to do. If you've been burned by people beating you over the head of stuff that you have to do. Look, there's a lot of things if somebody has counseled me to be a good husband. I don't have to do it, but I'm telling you, I'm really blessed when I do. Because <laughs> I want to live in relationship in the most abundant ways. Does that make sense? So thank you to our, to our shepherds who are saying, let's make sure this isn't coming across as one more list and one more legalism. No, it's an invitation into life. And here's the powerful thing. God says, there is whatever this means, Holy Spirit, help me, some fullness of the measure of the wonder and the power and the experience of God that we will have when we come in and say, even if I don't know what I'm doing, I'm just giving a piece of paper or I'm speaking a message or I'm serving and I'm making beds or I'm going on trips. Whatever you're doing, you're doing it. There is some experience of God that we will have when everybody says, I, I give you what I've got. Oh, I long for that, right? Now, here's what I want to say. We're starting to wrap. Have a long view of this have a long view of this. This takes time. Uh, another kind of uh, uh, clarification from one of my shepherds here. Like, 
if you're just hearing me, oh, cool, I do this, I go to Bible class, I go to church, I do, you know, cool. I want, I want you to think about what is your next step? How do we keep growing, right? We talk about plugging in. You know, we got this image again. Bailey made this beautiful image of just kind of expanding on that. Simple way, plug in. I want to invite you to keep going another step, another step, because you have to know, because you'll experience more of Jesus' life. So we have this great gathering, and we meet here. One way to get a little bit smaller is go to a Bible class. It's a, it takes a group like this, makes it a little bit smaller. Another step to go a little bit closer is a, maybe a small group, right? And you go from a 60, 70, you go to some of your small groups aren't that small, but you know, you get a little bit smaller. Here's what I eventually want to encourage you to do, and in whatever format that it takes for you. Jesus had 500 that he showed himself in the resurrection. He preached to the masses. He had 70 that he sent out on mission. He had 12. Then he had three that went with him everywhere. Three, Peter, James, and John. You know this, right? I want to encourage you to think about who are the few people in your life. And yes, this applies to students because there are people coming up after you. There are people watching you already. How can you invest in two or three others and pass that on into the next generation? Who's coming out? Who are the Peter and the James and John in your life that you're pouring your life into? Uh, here's the other passage that talks about this, 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Paul says, Timothy, Paul's mentoring him, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It always starts from grace. You're in grace. Then he says, now take the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to share that with others. I want you to think about how many generations are represented in Paul's vision of the deepest form of discipling and passing things on. Put it up there for you. I'll help you cheat. How many generations are represented in Paul's vision of what we do in church? How many generations? Help me. It's four. Paul says, it's not enough for me to receive the gift of God and the grace of God and the wonder of God. Again, will he go to heaven if you do it? Yes. Are we telling you you have to do something? No. But Paul says, here's what has fueled my life. I shared it with Timothy. And Timothy, I want you to share it with reliable people. And they will be able to share it with others. Here's the vision. The grandest part, the deepest part of the vision. When your life and your giftedness is transferred four generations, you know God's doing his thing. Does that make sense? I, I love that picture. In fact, I saw a picture of this dream from a guy that discipled and mentored me. His name's Milton Jones. Some of you know him. I talk about him a lot. He went to Africa one time because he drills wells and helps people um, in needy around the world. And he ran to this guy who planted a church. He's a young church planter, and he had a book that Milton had written. Milton's like, wow, I've never met you before. You, you got my book. And he said, yeah. He said, I got this from making up a name from Frank, who gave me this book. And he discipled me. Frank, Frank got me in a discipleship group, and he gave me this book as part of that. And Frank had been discipled by a guy named Mark, who gave it to Frank. Guess who Mark was discipled by? Milton. Check this out. Milton met his fourth generation on the other side of the world. How cool is that? That's the vision. Again, whatever age you can do. So we have our sixth graders, and, and maybe they're teaching the third graders, Right? And we've got our students teaching other students and bringing them along, right? You always can give the gift that you have, and that's the vision that it takes over time. So I end with this image. I don't know if you've ever seen this uh, church building before. Has anybody ever seen this before? I don't even know where it is. It's in Germany. It's in Cologne, Germany. It is the largest church building 
uh, single church structure in the world. It is the tallest in the world. It is an incredibly beautiful space. I know we got folks who are saying, hey, we could give all that money to the poor. I get it. I totally get it. I also think over the course of history, I'm not necessarily saying this one, but the church has told us there are certain times and places where extravagance is okay for the glory of God. I won't get into all of that debate, but it's a really beautiful place. But here's the most interesting part of it. Does anybody know how long it took to build it? 632 years to build that. The people go now and gather to worship the resurrected Christ. Now, I want you to think about this because this is the dream. As you think about your gift and you're giving it to God and you're thinking, what big difference does it make? Listen to this. There were people for 600 years and countless generations that had to do their little part, building their piece of the wall or digging out something or building the ceiling or painting this or that. They had to do it for generation after generation, knowing they will never see the finished product that God would do with it. Are you content? Are you willing to say, I want to be part of something using my gift to hold together the body of Christ and do it in ways I may never see until Jesus comes back? I love that. Every one of you has the opportunity to build a little piece of the larger temple of the Holy Spirit of the resurrected Christ. Isn't that breathtaking? You're building his church. Well, he's building it, but he's using you to build that. And here is the greatest mirror moment. That's who you are. You are part of the body of the resurrected Christ, and you are indispensable to this time and place to do your part. And there will come a day where you will see the worship of the people of God in what you built. You may not even know it. You may not even know it. Father God, we come to you and we ask you to cast this vision more powerfully than I can begin to say in words. You are building something in us and we don't deserve it and we can't live up to it and it's not about what we do. At the same time, you invite us into your work and you have made it so that if we stay in you, we literally cannot fail. I cannot wait to see over the course of human history what you have done from all of the faithfulness of the people of God in this church for the last hundred years and what you will do for the next hundred years. We offer you our gifts to plug into your vision of your church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.